Welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Bruce Kasman, and with me this week is Nora Sentivani. Nora, how you doing? Hi, Bruce. I'm doing well, thanks. Joe's flying somewhere over the ocean this week, I think. So this is a good opportunity for us to have a chat and and focus perhaps a bit more on what is, I think, perhaps the most, you know, uh, interesting topic of the week, which is how do we read what's going on on the inflation front? And that obviously spills out into a number of other conversations. But, you know, given your perspective and focus on inflation, why don't you leave us off and just say, okay, we've had this set of June reports here. What's the main messages you take in terms of how you're tracking global inflation at this point? Yeah, so I mean, for me, the main takeaway is the slowing in core inflation that we're finally seeing, right? This is something we've been waiting for a long time. Um, yeah. We wrote a piece at the start of the year saying we were gonna get uh, you know, quite substantial slowing, especially in core goods inflation. We didn't get that for a while. And now we're finally getting it. So I suppose relief, um, encouraging data all around, pretty much. It's quite broad-based across countries. Um, if we look at the tracking for globally for, for core inflation, we are getting down to about 4% annualized in the three months to June. And that's down from 5%. We were, we were pretty much stuck around the 5% uh, level. outside. And the June the number itself is only up, what, two-tenths on the month. So that's even a further downward trajectory exactly, if yeah. you look I mean, at June. It could round to zero three, let's see, somewhere between a zero two and a zero three. But it's certainly <laughs> encouraging. It, it breaks this. It's a zero two 2.245. Is that the number you're coming up with? Exactly. Something um, like that. We'll say we'll give it a point two. So we want to talk about downward moves in inflation. Let's let's give it its due. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, a lot of it, as I said, is in is in core goods. Um, there's some easing in services as well, but it's really the core goods inflation, which where the the slowing seems to be very material. And that so let's, let's has further to run yeah, let, potentially. Well, let's talk about that. So I think I think one piece of this is to sort of recognize that core goods. Um, has been a very you know volatile piece of the inflation picture. When it went up in 21 and 22, it went up a lot. And uh, we, as you noted, we had expected it to come down um, as we turned into this year. We thought the supply chain pressures were coming off um, and it didn't, uh, or it didn't come off in much. Uh, and now it's starting to. So um, when we look at core goods, what do you think the drivers are there? I mean, there's a few things. It's it's some of it is the delayed pass through of this, uh, um, you know, normalization in in supply chain problems. But there's other things going on there. How would you parse out what's driving that part of the inflation complex? Yeah, look, I think a big part of it is this sort of lagged effects from the fading of the the earlier supply chain uh, pressures. Those just look like they've taken longer time to feed through into the CPI data. Uh, especially in Europe. I think on top of that, we are in EM benefiting from significant currency appreciation, which is also helping to pull imported inflation down. On top of that, in the last couple of months, I would I would add into that mix uh, a dis disinflationary impulse coming from Asia, China in particular. I think that's also uh, helping to pull uh, the numbers down. 
Um, so yeah, it's, it's a good mix of things, really. And um, don't some... forget the added spice of used car prices in the U.S. Yes, yes, the used car prices. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I think um, this is where we're supposed to say something about how much of this is sustainable and how much isn't, right? Well, before you, before you, so there's a there's a sustainability issue here. But before we get into that, and we're obviously going to end up talking about service price inflation as well. Let's just sort of talk about the the trajectory here and what we might get. So, um, you know, as you noted, we were stuck at 5% for a while here. And, you know, the last three months are running 3%, uh, 4%, excuse me, on core, core CPI. Our forecast for the third quarter after roughly 5% first half, and we're taking China out of this measure globally, is for yeah. things to get down to what, 3637, something like that? Right. Yeah, that's that's correct. Yeah. So we have been building in some expectation that we get down to three, six, six, three, seven in the third quarter, and then we get down to about three or low threes in the fourth quarter, something like that. But what's the what do you think the the news in terms of the um, the possible trajectory in terms of uh, risk around that is for for Q3 right now? Right. So, I mean, I think if, if, if some of this, um, these disinflation impulses that, that, that we've listed here are going to sustain, at least for the near term, right, like let's say another two, three months, then I think for, for July through September, we could get a spell of, you know, point twos um, on, on core, core CPI. And then that would bring us down to something like 2.7 for the third quarter. So that would bring us about one percentage point below what we're currently forecasting for the third quarter. Um, yeah, so we would be in a situation where we're seeing downside risk potentially emerging um, to our um, core inflation forecast. So in quarter. a sense, we had, we had about, if we think about where we were at the start of the year, we've had about a 1% higher first half on a run run rate basis you're thinking we could go in the other direction yeah um in that context a lot of that dynamic if you get it you would think would come from the good space right correct yeah i mean in the us just the fact that used car prices will likely continue to fall in the near term right that's probably going to get you core goods inflation down quite significantly overall core goods actually we have it turning slightly negative in the third quarter in the u.s um yeah so um and i think even in parts of um em it's possible we get down pretty fast here to kind of where we were right um, before so I the pandemic i, I want to come back to what you're saying a minute ago some of this let's leave the used car prices alone for a minute that's a noisy idiosyncratic story but some of this in a broader sense is, hey, we thought that there was a, an unwinding of pressures. It just didn't seem to come as quickly as we had been expecting, but it does. But I think that the two things that are kind of new here and, and perhaps reinforcing your, your perspective on downside risk is the sense that we've just gone through a, a first half where global manufacturing has been weak. The surveys are continuing to point weak in the middle of the year. And then this added element that China is a... Uh, a potential deflationary impulse in terms of what we're seeing in terms of the pricing in China and how it might be spilling over to the rest of the world. Those are things we hadn't been expecting uh, mm. six months ago, which are now reinforcing the potential for downside surprise on goods. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the deflationary impulse from China, it's kind of unknown, right? We 
we're thinking that the spillover is probably not huge, but certainly the direction is downward, right? Which is quite a contrast to where we were at the start of the year, right? We had flagged China's reopening as a important potential reflationary impulse globally, right? We did recognize that probably spillovers to the rest of the world would be fairly small, but you know, nonetheless, we were flagging upside. Now we're going in the other direction. So yeah. if you look at the, the, the data in China, significant PPI deflation, we're down like 5.4% on the year. Um, export prices out of China, likewise, uh, falling. And we see it in the US uh, import prices from China. But I think China that's falling. where, to me, it's most um, intriguing because, you know, there's who knows how you look at PPI pricing in China. Um, and But I think when you have the data on the US import prices, we're now seeing yeah. a swing sharply in negative territory from imported goods uh, from China. And the same thing is happening in the Euro area data. And so you have in both of those regions, a clear sense of downward pressure. I think the interesting wrinkle, leaving again aside issues like used car prices, is that in the US, the currency is starting to shift from having a, a, a negative impulse on pricing from last year's dollar rise to a uh, a more positive impulse, whereas in Europe, you're getting the China story, the unwinding of uh, uh, the supply chain stuff come together with the currency appreciation, which is 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 going to reinforce that. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out in the more um, uh, relative context as well. But yeah, let's I mean, get... you, you mentioned Europe, but so let me just add that EM in particular is seeing a very strong um, currency move, right, against um, yep. China. We see EM outside of China. LATAM, C countries, I mean, in trade-weighted terms, those currencies are up 10, 15%. So those are very substantial disinflationary impulses coming just from the exchange rate. Yeah, and we should, we should definitely think about that in a minute because I want to get to central banks. But before that, let's just, just sort of, spend at least a couple minutes thinking about the the bigger piece of the core inflation picture it's perhaps not as dynamic but the services side which perhaps is going to tell the broader tale and and let me sort of preface what you're going to say about this with the idea that you know in our forecast we have a a more moderate decline in core service price inflation we don't have core service price inflation getting back to where it was before the pandemic and that mm -hmm. is the key to underlying the view that you don't get inflation overall uh, down. So, you know, what's the backdrop in terms of looking at where the, the data flow is uh, playing out there? Yeah, I mean, look, in, in terms of services, we are seeing some some easing there, too. I mean, it's being helped you know, in the U.S., as you know, by uh, shelter inflation coming off. I mean, that part of it can actually be sustained for a while. Yep. Um, and then outside of that, things look a little bit stickier, I would say. So I think once you remove these sort of more volatile items, you know, I don't know, medical services, we've got the airfares, which fell very sharply in June. Uh, things look a little bit stickier, I would say. Um, so that, I think, increases our confidence that after this sort of spell of uh, inflation coming down in the near term, we probably get stuck around a 3% level due to this persistence in service prices. And I just say in the, one of the interesting things is you mentioned the, the technical issues around how you measure healthcare and the CPI and also the airfare stuff. The PCE on both of those fronts is quite different and is probably a cleaner measure. And given what we know right now, we're looking for um, 
this super core measure of core services like shelter um, in this PC to be up three tenths on a month mm -hmm. uh, when we get the June report and, and a little bit over 4% on an annualized basis in the last three months, which is going to send a, a very different signal about how much we're making progress on uh, lowering inflation in the US. But the, ba the basic message is that way globally too. The, the move is starting, but it's far less uh, uh, decisive on, on that front. And I think it's going to take time here you know, to judge whether or not in a world in which core goods might come down more significantly than we had had expected a few months ago, whether that's something to be, um, you know, taking on as a possible soft landing story or whether we're broadly right that you're going to still have problems uh, with inflation control uh, in any environment in which you're not slipping into into recession over the next, uh, you know, number of quarters. So with that, I mean, this is obviously um, uh, a week or a few weeks here where, as you as you noted, uh, EM is feeling pretty, pretty good in terms of um, the uh, the dynamics around uh, uh, growth resilience and uh, disinflation and, and generally asset prices. So maybe give us a little take here. Is, is it too good to be true what we're seeing in terms of the uh, the EM story here? Um, I think it can be sustained in the near term, for sure. Um, I think, as I said, disinflation, I think, has further to run. Um, so I think EMs can probably be in this sort of Goldilocks-like environment for, for, for a while. Um, and certainly, if you put together, you know, all the things we talked about, disinflation, the fact that the exchange rates have strengthened, we have very large real interest rate cushions, right? Because EMs hiked early, they hiked aggressively, and now they're reaping the benefits of that. Inflation expectations are coming down. Uh, so all of these things, I think, are sort of create um, an environment where central banks can start cutting an EM, despite DM, many DMs uh, still continuing to hike. And um, LATAM is going to be at the forefront of that, as, as we've been highlighting and as, as markets are pricing. Um, we're looking for the easing cycle to kick off in Chile this month, and we've got Brazil in August, Colombia, Mexico. I think it extends a little bit outside of LATAM as well. So we've got some of the sea countries uh, cutting now before the end of the year, like Poland. Um, you know, EM Asia largely on the sidelines, but I think even there, when you think about inflation, we have it coming back to central bank targets by the end of the year. So I think this sort of um, environment can be one in which even some of the EM Asian central banks like Indonesia or Philippines deliver rate cuts. So it's very much Goldilocks for now. How are What's you feeling the... on the... Yeah. Okay. No, why don't you, you can ask, ask me how Goldilocks I feel, uh, but. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> I was going to ask you, I mean, I'm feeling pretty Goldilocks, but how about you? I, the way I guess I'm looking at the world right now is that uh, we should be expecting some moderation and growth. Obviously we had a, a very big upside surprise on growth in the first half of the year. Global growth was almost 3%, which is above its trend pace. And there's definitely good reasons to think things are going to cool. Uh, part of that is the China story, which we already see. We'll talk for in a second, perhaps, about what we're expecting in next week's data. Uh, part of it is the labor market in the U.S., which I think is reflecting the fact that the service sector boost, which has been a important 
uh, cushion to to monetary policy drag is gonna is gonna fade. And I think there is still um, a sense that we're not through the patch in in global industry. So I, I think we have to be a little careful here not to get too excited about what we see in a world in which there's still, I think, a decent case for moderation. But if the moderation happens the way we want, we expect it to, which is that the services industries are coming off outside, outsized um, employment gains, but are actually coming to something more normal and are going to settle there. And that comes with the manufacturing sector globally starting to recover. And we start to see industry and industrial surveys move up. I think the way people have been focused from a, a forward-looking edge has been to think about the uh, the goods producing industries as the leading edge of this. And, and whether that's right or wrong, and I think there are good reasons to question that, it's going to have a pretty big influence. And I'm not sure people appreciate what might happen here in the next three or four months if we actually see uh, global manufacturing start to recover, PMIs move up, uh, business sentiment begin to to recover. And that obviously has spillover effects um, into markets um, in, in, in broad consequences. So I, I think growth isn't going to accelerate here. I think it's going to decelerate, but I think we're going to feel on more solid ground here, uh, especially because of this rotation, which I think is going to take place where the service industries are going to cool somewhat and manufacturing is going to come off of this, this pretty uh, ugly, ugly position. Um, now there's clearly a couple of weak spots here that are worth focusing on, but we're not going to have the time to focus on, on Europe. But I do think Western Europe is is looking soft and momentum there is is somewhat concerning. But the other place is China, where we had a very strong first three months of the year, and then we've had a very weak April, May in the data releases. Why don't you go through for us what we're expecting in next week's uh, releases where we get both the June data dump and the second quarter GDP reading? Yeah, I mean, for the second quarter, we've got 1.2% Q on Q annualized uh, growth. That's, uh, you know, a big step down from what we had in Q1. Uh, if you average the two, it's still decent, right? About 7%. But obviously, the concern is around the slowing in momentum uh, through the middle of the year. And then the question is, will we get that sort of rebound to 5%-ish pace that we have in our forecast? Um, we get on top of the 2Q GDP report, as you said, June um, IP, we get retail sales. I mean, they were looking for a bit of an uptick. IP, I think we got 1.6% month on month, uh, retail sales 0.6% month on month. We get the FAI growth numbers. We'll also be focusing on some of the labor, labor market indicators that we know are important for policymakers, um, unemployment rates, so on. And of course, the real estate and um, private sector investment data. I think if the, the GDP growth number significantly misses to the downside, and we don't really see signs of stabilization in the June data, I think that might raise concerns on the part of policymakers. We do have that Politburo meeting later in the month, and then they'll have to sort of potentially do a, a broader reassessment of the, the sort of policy stimulus uh, needed. I think that's an important point because I think there's both a uh, a pivot that comes in our own thinking as well as possibly in policymakers thinking. As you describe the data, it will show a very weak second quarter, but it'll be showing some improvement as we hit the middle of the year. And that is what anchors our forecast that China is going to get back to something 
close to a 5% pace um, in the second half of the year. But if we don't get that, if we either get, we get some combination of weakness in Q2 overall and more disappointing data, we're going to have to rethink China perhaps more, more broadly. And as you say, policymakers will as well. What I'm a little concerned when I read the work from our China team is they don't really feel like even with these disappointments, there's much uh, policy support that's going to come. And part of the reason the way they're describing it is that policymakers just don't see the uh, problems which are associated with the uh, lack of confidence in the in the private sector um, as being easily addressed through the more traditional uh, stimulus. So they they may rethink things, but our guys are not being very comforting in saying that hey, there there will be a mm. meaningful response even even if we get this disappointment. Yeah, I think there's also concern of, you know, if they go for a really like bazooka type policy stimulus that we saw back in 2008, that that would somehow reignite some of these financial stability concerns. We've got a public debt close to 100% of GDP, uh, you know, so there are all these sorts of concerns they have that I think will limit um, their willingness to go for something substantial in terms of, I think it's going to be a lot more targeted as, as our China team have been, have been noting. And I think that then leaves the main policy tool really CNY, right? So there we've seen, as we've noted, quite significant depreciation and the question whether that has further to run. And if it does have further to run, that will re, you know, continue to amplify some of these other um, potentially deflationary forces or impulses that we've been talking about. So I think that will be interesting to see how right. they respond to that. So I think we'll close it up here, but I think what we're getting at is that uh, we have also U.S. retail sales next week, which is going to be interesting. And we are looking for a pretty decent uh, uh, gain, especially when we adjust for what has been a much weaker goods pricing environment. Uh, but China is really the key on the data front next week. And it it does have the potential to to, to force us to rethink some things if the numbers do disappoint in a significant way. But we'll leave it there. Thanks, Nora. Thanks, everyone. And hope we can continue this conversation next week on JP Morgan TV.